Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the series Coming Together, a collaboration between Living It Up in Lion City and Whitehatters.sg, um, a local NGO that seeks to have conversations with both Singaporeans and foreigners and facilitate dialogue over social norms and sometimes controversial topics. Thank you for joining us again. I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode where we talked about cultural integration and what it actually meant. Um, I really hope that you got you found some value in it, and I'm really looking forward to feedback if you have any. Now, the topic for today's episode is an interesting one, and it's based on a lot of online sentiments that we see and that we've been seeing over the last couple of years. Um, it's about the Singaporean identity, and more specifically, it's about what makes a Singaporean true blue and what makes a Singaporean new. Now, to get this conversation started, we have with us here um, a friend and fellow podcaster um, who might be who who will be giving us a little more insight into the topic of Singaporean identity. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here's Danny Kurdi. Hi, hi, Rindo. Thanks for having me. How are you, man? Good, good, good. Yeah. So, um, Danny, um, before we get started, mm. maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess <laughs> the main reason why I'm on the show today is because uh, my background is actually, I was born and raised in Singapore, but for, I think, up only up until last year, I was a PR so Indonesian citizenship, and that was because my when I was born, my parents were were in Singapore at the time, so I was given a PR status. But they were PR already, so I was given PR status. But I didn't only convert into a full Singaporean citizenship until only recently. So this issue of Singaporean identity is something that has always been looming in the back of my mind, like the issue of like the third culture kid and and stuff like that, and like are you really Singaporean if you don't have the passport and stuff like that. So. So yeah, that that's um, uh. But that aside, what I do is that I am actually a full time. Uh, I'm working full time in podcasting. I used to be <laughs> in a very different field in auditing, but I made the transition. Um, uh, it's been a, a you know quite a journey, but uh, I have a full time job in podcasting. I am not um going to share who my employers are, but I am going to make the disclaimer that whatever views I represent here do not um, are not representative of my employers or any business partners or whoever that I associate with. These are all my own views. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that lengthy disclaimer, Danny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, fun fact, folks. Uh, Danny was also the guy who introduced me to the local podcasting community. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's been a really interesting couple of years because yeah, of yeah. that. So, thanks, Danny. Yeah. Um, so, Danny, about about your you know uh, origin story, if you will. Mm, mm. Um, so, you did mention that you were born in Singapore. Yeah. Right. So, you've lived all your life here in Singapore. Yes. And um, you know, essentially went through everything that the regular Singaporean does. Yeah. Right. Um, I have to ask, you know, in your early years, have you ever felt that there was a difference? Or were you conscious of the fact that you weren't Singaporean? Uh, I would say, personally speaking, yes. And that is because most of my family is actually based in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that's on my dad's side and then my mom's side most of them are in China mm-hmm. so it's like you know holidays we're always shuttling back and forth between either Indonesia or China so like every year at least once a year we'll go back for Chinese New Year or something uh, to Indonesia to visit with like the, the larger family right and then the the main thing at least for me and why I didn't feel at the time neither here or there was that when I went to Indonesia and, and I, you know, played with my cousins and everything, they'd be like, oh, you know, you're a Singapore boy, your your bahasa is so bad <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. So it's like, I, I feel a little bit out of place and didn't really feel like Indonesian. Mm-hmm. But then when I when I am in Singapore, um, I guess this is a, something that um, I've always uh, had to deal with. And and I'm not, I'm not saying this to make it like a, a big issue. It's just something that I've noticed is that um, Singaporeans or I guess locals here are very perceptive about like people's names. Mm. So for example, when I when I get a grab, right? And then um, I go, I get into the car and then they say, hey, are you Danny? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then after, after that, like 80% of, of my taxi and grab rides, if they are able to see who my name, uh, what my name is, right? They'll be like, oh, uh, you are you Indonesian? They'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, because of my name. My name is, my full name is Danny Krishnanto Kodi, which mm-hmm. is, not very, uh, not not a very common, uh, uh, Singaporean name, I guess. Like, for example, if your name was like, um, Aaron Tan or like something like that, you know, very very, um, I would say not not too, uh, out of the blue, then you know, no one would question. But then, uh, because my name is not that common, <laughs> as it seems, people tend to like ask me, you know, are you local? Are you this? Are you are you whatever? And most of the time, it's are you Indonesian? So, again, you know. Indonesia didn't really feel that Indonesian than Singaporean. Because of this one aspect, I would say I didn't really feel uh, like wholly Singaporean. But I think aside from that, pretty much uh, comfortable with Singapore, with, you know, with uh, viewing myself or having or identifying myself as a Singaporean. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so there's one thing I love about cab uncles is that you know, and like I recognize all the time when I take cab rides, it's like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they're bored out of their minds <laughs> and, you know, yeah. they will grasp at any straw, yeah, you yeah, know, to have yeah. a conversation. And I love that. I'm generally a chatty person. So I'd be like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, keep yeah. going. Right. So we keep talking and stuff. So I kind of get that. Um, but at the same time, you are right. Sometimes if a name stands out. Yeah, um, I think people are curious about origins and, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I, mean I, I, I'm not like very, how to say like fussed about it uh-huh. I don't really uh, mind it too much uh, I mean people are just curious sure they'll ask yeah. but I can see how maybe to other people and maybe when it's not just a name maybe when it's like skin color or something then mm-hmm. it might be very grating or it might be like you know over the top or it might be becoming a bit of an issue la, yeah to to foreigners and stuff yeah yeah so you know in all your time living here and once again you know uh born here, raised here, yep. for all intents and purposes, you are Singaporean, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, did national service too? Yes, so, yes. You yes. know, <laughs> I think that that should lay to rest Pub- any conversations about... <laughs> Public schooling all the way, national <laughs> <Yeah>. service. <laughs> I have served my dues. I am going through reservice. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I, I'm really curious about um, the nature of the commentary on you know, true blue Singaporeans versus new Singaporeans, especially in recent years. So in your opinion, Danny, mm. um, have you been seeing a rise of this kind of dialogue or has it always been there in all your time here? Um, I think, hmm, I think for me personally, uh, 
It's definitely been something that is becoming more of an issue, especially with social media. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, you know, these conversations might have been going on like when I was younger or something, but maybe it's just more prevalent or more easily visible now. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, amplification of social media social media can't be discounted when it comes to these things mm-hmm. and, you know I, I think outrage porn is kind of uh, <laughs> the thing that spreads the fastest right um, so if you can find a community to love stuff about you can find a community to hate stuff together about as well right uh, precisely you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start quoting on this time. Um, and you know honestly and since you mentioned this, does, right? Does that make me sound like a bigot apologist? <laughs> um, I'd say a realist, because I think that is, yeah. The, yeah. that is the reality of the world that we're living in. And, yeah. you know, since you mentioned this, right, I just started thinking about right now, in that I guess I didn't see a lot of this until recently, mostly because I wasn't tuned in. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think we've talked about this before, where it's like I think the first years of your life living in a new country is all about finding your bearings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you tend to not dive deep into, you know, um, underlying social sentiment until much later. Uh, and I think that's what, what I'm seeing too. So now I'm kind of wondering if the sentiment has already existed for the longest time and I haven't tapped into it, mm. you know? Um, and the reason I'm confused about this is because I tried doing like those Google trend searches mm-hmm. Um and tried looking for you know keywords uh, before 2010, before 2005, yeah. about you know true blue Singaporeans, and I've noticed this thing where you know at the time, at least between 2005 and 2010, yeah. any Google search about true blue Singaporeans at the time was mostly about like these listicle like articles, which is how true blue <laughs> Singaporean are you? Right, like, right, right, right. You know, have you tried this food, or do you remember VR Man? Right, you know, right, stuff right, like that. Right. Right. And then I think there was a perceptible shift after 2010 when it became more about um, true blue Singaporeans are losing out versus uh, new and naturalized citizens who are kind of, you know, taking over. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I think first and foremost, it you know, it should be stated that this is a very complex and complicated issue. Mm-hmm. And I by no means claim to know like the answer but uh, I can only share my own perspective yep. or what I believe is happening. So with regards to, I would say, the rising um, the weaponization of the use of like true Singaporeans as a way to like vilify uh, foreign nationals, let's say, um, I think maybe this would be like almost like a perfect storm of like... Um, I would say economic and social political issues happening in and around Singapore. So of course, uh, pre two thousand ten or I would say mid to late two thousands, um, the economy was going well up until like you have the great financial crisis, right? In two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and then the economy was shit for like quite a number of years, and Singapore took a while to recover. So, um. Of course, because of that, many locals became very concerned about like economic prospects, their careers, their jobs. And then so when you have that kind of hotbed already and then you add in like, you know, maybe there's like 
um, news reports of like uh, you know what what CEO is coming buying up property in Singapore or this or this rich person is being naturalized in Singapore because he's building a business here or something. It's you know from from my perspective, it, it's like almost understandable that this kind of sentiment can can come up because it's like. Uh, to them, it's like you know they're already finding it so difficult to to survive and to and to get food on the table for themselves in their own country, and yet here is some like um you know stranger from a different land just seemingly paying his way, uh into into the country la. Yeah, so so of course um I, I so I guess it'll be a lot more understandable as to why those kind of sentiments uh come up, and you know the CEOs are just a big example. They're of course like. You know, many more examples of like, say, your executives going into like, um, you know, your, uh, your director positions or whatnot, manager positions or whatnot, and this is not just happening in like the top level. It's like all across like maybe MNCs and stuff like that. So, um, I would say one of the this is one of the bigger contributors. At least to me, this seems to be one of the bigger contributors to like the negative sentiment is that now they are facing a lot more competition. Now. Yeah. So I I'd like to unpack that a mm-hmm. little. So. What, I I know that there's credence to the idea of you know uh, folks coming in and it's essentially a manifestation of eat the rich syndrome, right? It's like rich people are getting away while we're struggling, you know. But I I think there's also other aspects to it, which is about you know cultural dilution, mm. and I think these are real problems. Uh, they may not be logical ones, but these are emotional, and I think every government has to be cognizant of that. Yeah. So to go back to um you know, the topic of new Singaporeans versus true blue Singaporeans, there is a cultural boundary that is being defined by popular discourse, right? Like what, like people decide who gets to be true blue Singaporean, who gets to be new Singaporean. Yeah. Like based on, you know, having lived here all your life, uh, what would you consider true blue and what would you consider new? Okay, so um, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and I would say Singapore is actually pretty unique in that, at least from a true boost or from a local's perspective, there are many identifiable aspects of what makes a Singaporean a Singaporean. So, you know, you have things like, you know, um, appreciating the local culture. Maybe you grew up watching, like, local uh, TV shows, Channel 8, Channel 5, what have you. Uh, you grew up watching, you know, your favorite sitcoms like Pachu Kang, Under One Roof, all these kind of things. You, uh, you are familiar with like the local food. Um, you know, you have like a favorite place for, like chicken rice. For your, you know, you know about like your favorite laksa spot, all these kinds of things. And then of course you're familiar with like the lingo here, your CPF, ERP, what what have you. All the the various all all the various ways we use language to communicate here, Singlish. Whatnot, all the <laughs> all the abbreviations that we use and and everything, and then for boys, um, if you go through for men, sorry, if you go through army, then yeah, that would be a pretty big uh, signal that you are, uh, Singaporean. And the reason why I say that Singapore is actually pretty unique because when you think about it, uh, for example, in America, what can you say is like truly what what makes Ameri- an American truly an American? Right there, there are some there are some things that maybe you can point out. Like for example, you have the stereotype of like the gun-toting cow- cowboy <laughs> hat-wearing, uh, <laughs> you know, cowboy. Yeah, that that that's pretty American. But yeah. it's a stereotype, right? That's yeah. not reality, 
right? For example, New Yorkers don't don't act like that. I don't even think people in Texas uh, dress and act like that, right? This is like a very outdated view of what American America is. In fact, modern day America, and especially in a place like New York, where you know for the longest time, for forever, people have said it's like a a a how would say like a a mixing pot, like a cultural mixing pot, like like all various different cultures are part of uh, a New York. It there is no one single or at least it's very hard to point out like identifiable cultural aspects that makes, a, say, a New Yorker a New Yorker or an American an American. Because um, there's been so much freaking cultural dilution that basically, you know, anyone who, is, who, who, who lives there is, is a New Yorker or American at that point. Because like, you think about it, there's like, um, you know, there are like Chinese people in, uh, in Chinatown in New York City. There are like Koreans, uh, there's like the the Jewish people, you know. There's like black people as well. So there's like all sorts of different um uh people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and and it, it mixes and dilutes so much such that <laughs> there's no one single thing to point uh to to say that oh, okay you are that that's what makes you American. I find that so fascinating, and um you know to come back to Singapore now, I guess. I think we are slowly heading towards that direction, but at least in the at least for now, our cultural roots or at least these cultural markers that I've listed out earlier that what makes a Singaporean Singaporean are still very much established, and uh, it will take a while to change. But then with the world, you know, continually becoming more and more cosmopolitan, cultures and uh whatnot, and media becoming more and more accessible, I think it's is it's um safe to say that maybe, I don't know, like 30, 40 years down the line, maybe some of these cultural aspects might slowly start to dissolve away and maybe what Singapore will turn to is like a, a very humid version of New York. <laughs> um, no, that's a really interesting viewpoint. Um, I, w- I want to ask Danny, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, put this out there. Um, is there a need for a cultural requirement to be Singaporean. <laughs> what What do you mean by like cultural requirement? Do you so, mean by accepted like like by the government, or is it accepted by like the locals here? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at. Because, at least from my understanding, mm-hmm. so generally paths to citizenship are often based on a set of rules, you know, defined by government. It includes a lot of a period of stay, economic contribution by way of taxes or any other, you know, means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some sort of ties to local society, um, language requirements in a lot of places like France and Germany. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, academic qualifications and potential contribution to the betterment of that society. Yeah. Um, so these are kind of like well-established, uh, you know, requirements that a lot of governments across the world tend to adopt when it comes to evaluating a person's um you know eligibility to be singaporean yeah uh sorry to be a citizen of that country um and the same thing applies in singapore too i dare say although the process is uh not as transparent and we're not particularly sure what the criteria are having said this um i think in popular discourse there seems to be a strong demand to um, appreciate, accept, and assimilate into local norms, mm. which 
are probably softer concerns than mm-hmm. the more government mandated requirements. Yeah. So does citizenship entail having to, for the lack of a better word, pander to local folks who demand assimilation? Um, okay, this is a really tricky question because I'm not sure of the answer myself. Because from the viewpoint of, say, like, a local, say, like, you, you know, you live with your family in a HDB neighbor, and then you have a neighbor coming in, is a new Singaporean, right, naturalized Singaporean, who's only been around for a few years, but then is able to purchase a HDB and already and whatnot. So, and then, but then, uh, he's able to, to reap all these benefits, but at the same time, he's you know, he doesn't, um, he only eats like the fanciest, um, I guess, French restaurants. He doesn't eat any local hawker, uh, hawker food. Um, you know, doesn't speak like Singlish. Um, he's very much like um, trying to maintain his own culture of the, the past. So from this perspective, it's like, I guess from that local's perspective, it's like, okay, you know, uh, our country has so graciously accepted you in terms of, like, the citizenship, and we have, uh, upon the citizenship, conferred you all these rights and embellishments, right, that come along with it. Um, you know, you could at the very least do, what you could at the very least do is try to show that you belong. La. Yeah, so so that's where the I think that kind of sentiment comes in. But at the same time, you know, thinking about it, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's like, it's like yeah, it's your neighbour, but... Why, why, why should they behave? Why, why should you want you want them to behave a certain way, right? It's like I, I don't know, man. To me, it's like I'm of the belief that you know people should just mind their own business as long as they're not encroaching upon uh other another person's property or they're not like you know um, causing you any trouble or any, any any issues, right? Why should you bother about them, right? So for example, if if that neighbor. Um, say he's like a French dude, right? But naturalized, born French, but a naturalized Singaporean. Bought a HDB, he's living there. If he's just minding his own business, not causing any issues, not causing any fuss, he's just you know doing the same as as you are, trying to like um uh, work to to provide for his family, you know, raise a family, uh you know and stuff like that, have a career and and stuff like that. Why should you bother? Why should you care whether he eats laksa or eats only escargot or or whatnot, right? I Me mean, doesn't, I don't know, yeah. It's a bit of a tricky thing, yeah. <laughs> so I've I've been trying to uh, understand like the nature of this kind of thing, and look, I I know this is not a uniquely Singaporean thing, right? Yeah, so yeah, there's, yeah. There's a lot of concerns that a lot of locals have, especially around the presence of uh, privileged foreigners, mm. right? Um, so there's one thing about finding affirmation in one's own culture and customs when you know a foreigner appreciates it, so. There's always that need, right? So it's like if, um, who was that? So there was maybe a recent example, like, uh, what's that? There's a talk show guy, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I think. Yeah. So Jimmy Kimmel, um, recently, you know, pulled out um, a record, you know. So it's it's a label of oh. of, of Young Raja. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and Singaporean internet went wild. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It was like holy shit, Jimmy Kimmel. Like even yeah. Jimmy Kimmel haters are like, yo. You know, we made it there. so. I but think he was making fun of that song, right? He was, he was. <laughs> um, but as it turns out, I, I uh, listened to um, a recent podcast where Young Raja showed up on the Yalla But uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. And Young Raja mentioned that right after that, Jimmy Kimmel's team, you know, reached out to him and said that, hey man, we love the song. 
uh, we were using this, you know, purely for entertainment purposes. Yeah, but yeah. Just want to say that you know it's a great song and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that got him a lot of traction and stuff. Yeah. And, and the reality is that regardless of you know that song being made fun of, at least well, in what public, mean it was like in just it wasn't like mean spirited. Like, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think the nature of the song also lends to that humor, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. mummy, mummy, mummy. Yeah, mommy, yeah, yeah, mommy. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yeah, but like having said this, right? Just having that up there on a public stage that's not Singaporean gets a lot of people feeling you know proud of the fact that yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we've we've made it there, yeah, right? Yeah. So when a foreigner were to come into Singapore and show overt appreciation for culture and customs, there's a lot of, you know, pride that, you know, locals get. On the flip side, if foreigners show no intention of doing any of those things, um, that pride is poked, at least that's what I'm sensing. And then these conversations about do foreigners deserve to be here is this Singaporean really Singaporean or yeah, is yeah. he just here for tax reasons, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? So is there an underlying dent to pride that's driving all of these conversations? <laughs> okay. Um, before we get into that a little bit deeper, I just want to mention that when you talk, when you, when you said how, you know, when a foreigner brings up how great Singapore is, I'm thinking of the counterpoint of like Nas Daily. Right. When he came to Singapore. And of course, like, a bunch of Singaporeans loved it, sure. But there was also the other side was like, who the hell is this guy? And why does he get, like, a one-minute, to do a one-minute show with, like, Lee Kuan Yew, sorry, Lee Sin Lo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> what nefarious agenda is going on behind the scenes? And it turns out there was, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not going to, like, cons- conspiracy theory here, but, but you know, Nasdaq set up something here in Singapore, so... Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't even call it conspiracy theory even because, like, and this is my understanding of it, so, yeah. uh, you know, to do a quick sidetrack into, like, the story of Nasdaq <laughs> and why he became from, from the most beloved content creator to the most hated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think this is the story, and I think I have a timeline here somewhere. So... Uh, Nas Daily, at the time, he was doing all those one-minute videos. Everybody loved him. Yeah. So he would go to different countries and people would come in crowds and stuff. A lot of my friends went the first time he came to Singapore when, you know, he showed up outside, uh, uh, I think, NUS. Yeah. Um, and so so what happened was that Nas Daily came to Singapore. Everybody went wild. They're like, we want to be part of that positivity. He's a change from all the cynical, you know, content creators and stuff. And then some folks online were like, wait a minute, there's like at least 500 people in this crowd was a permit applied, you know? And this wasn't in malicious intent. This is just people genuinely being curious uh, from what I got in the comments. And then Nas Taylor was like, oh, I had no idea, mm. you know? And then he came the second time. He came the second time. This time he got um, a big venue. I think it was Big Box at Buena Vista or something. And it was done very quickly. And right. then somebody piped up saying that, wait a minute, at Big Box, we apply for permits like <laughs> months in advance. We hardly ever get it. How did this guy get it? So, you know, the tone was kind of shifting, right? What is up with these snitches, man? Yeah. But, but at the same time, like it kind of showed that, you know, if you're a celebrity, things, you know, the, yeah, the yeah, wheels yeah. are greased yeah, yeah. easier, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Nas Daily then created a video called... Um, you know, this is what Singaporeans really live like, which was kind of well-received, you know, because he brought up the whole thing about, we all think that Singapore is like crazy rich Asians because we saw the movie, but this is what they really look like. This is the average income, mm. regular house and stuff. It was quite well-received and I thought it was fairly well-balanced, right? 
um, in his own exaggerated way. Um, and then, then in between the second and third time, then we started seeing videos from NTUC Income, and it had like Nastieli signature style. <laughs> So there were like a couple of videos that started popping up on social media. So I remember like, you know, my girlfriend at the time and I were like, there's a, there's a, there's a pattern here. And then, um, and then afterwards, I think in the third NTUC income video, his face shows up. So we're like, okay, so you know, right. Daily is actually behind these videos right. and NTUC is paying him because he's a social media influencer. Right. Well and good. Right. Third video drops <laughs> and then in a batik shirk, you know, <laughs> Lee Sin Lung comes in. And then everybody's like, wait a minute. The cameo of all cameos. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm sure that Lee Sin Lung's rationale is that, you know, let's let's try to, you know, be more appealing to the public by uh, working with and collaborating with uh, social media influencers. And then I think right after that was when Nas Daily said that, oh, I'm done with this one minute a day project. Uh, I'm now moving to Singapore. And literally a week later, he's he's here. He sets it up. He does this whole video about his fancy, you know, digs and stuff. And I think that's when people really started going like, what the f***, man? Um, Rindo said it, guys, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting the, the general uh, sentiment on social media. Rindo's laying out the facts, guys. <laughs> yeah. And then I think a month later, and then this is what really solidified the hate, in my opinion, was that um, he put out uh, an ad asking for... Uh, Vietnamese folks, mm. where he will be, you know, bringing them into his company to work for Vietnamese content and stuff. And then he said something like, you know, just, uh, you know, fly over, you'll get everything done. This was around the time of, you know, conversations about uh, presence of, you know, foreigners and numbers and stuff. And so everybody's like, wait a minute. You know, Lee Sin Lung is giving him all of the privileges to come here and set up his shop. Yeah, He's getting essentially a red carpet welcome. Um and, you know, and then now he's, you know, bringing foreigners in to do his job. So he then had to clarify saying that, no, it's about traineeship. Nah, nah, nah. But I think at the so then I think it just became quite clear for a lot of folks that Nas Daily was essentially given a lot of the advantages that people suspected the government was giving to foreigners. Yeah. It really fed into that narrative. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of the timeline the way I see it. But <laughs> but Nas Daily's <laughs> perceptions in Singapore. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, but I mean uh, to go back to what you said about foreigners being, um, you know, praising Singapore to the sky. Yes, of course, I'm sure that there's a lot of you know locals who are like, wait, we find that weird. We find that almost insulting because um, foreigners are somehow more privileged than mm -hmm. we are and therefore you're now talking about this right um but at the same time there's always like a, a need for that right i think a recent example was this um lady from england who's lived here for long enough i think she's been living here since she was six um and even though she's british um she got really famous on tiktok for um you know speaking singlish and using like you know English phrases and yeah, stuff, yeah. and so a lot of people loved her because they were like, "Oh, look at this foreigner in imbibing our culture, yeah. celebrating it." And so I think the response to her was very different from the response to Nas Daily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, in in your opinion, do you feel like the response is the response to Nas Daily the norm or the exception? Um. 
you, you, it's, it's very difficult to say one or the other because there's a lot of different things going on there as well. So I think generally speaking, especially on social media, you do get a bit envious or you do get a bit like salty mm-hmm. or negative when you see someone boasting about how successful they are, right? So then there's, that, that's one aspect of it. And then combine that with the aspect of he's a foreigner suddenly getting all the benefits, um, you know, all this like the red carpet treatment, let's say. Mm-hmm. And now he's become an easy target lah. Yeah. yeah, in that sense. So I think that situation basically, th- that's where, or that's the nature of where the sentiment comes from. Yeah, it's more of like the issue with the people making the comments rather than like uh, Nas Daily himself, right? Because the thing is, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that like, for example, if you're like, you're, you're like a successful entrepreneur in Singapore, you're a millionaire or whatever, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be complaining about seeing someone else successful because, you know, there's not much to be envious about, right? But of course, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. But then in the case of like, for example, if it's um just a influencer, like harmlessly, you know, having a bit of fun with our local culture, there's nothing really there to be, I guess, to get angry or pissed off or ticked off about. Now. Yeah, it's if it's just purely for entertainment, I think people are just... I think they're just fine. So I think that's like the difference between the two cases. It's not really one is like the exception or the norm. It's more of like both are couched in different different contexts, let's say. Yeah. That's actually a fair point. I yeah. guess my mistake is to just club all of them together and <laughs> why is that why is that a hypocrisy? You know, but okay, clearly no, you're right. I think it's it's very much dependent on context. Yeah. And yeah. I mean I mean, okay, so so for instance, right? Um I have a bunch of uh, friends and people that I know who on surface may not seem like they are local, right? Be it skin colour, name, what have you. But then some of them clearly have been around for very long already, go through our education system and whatnot. And then I don't see them any different as like any other Singaporean, right? But but maybe, um, for example, if this other person I knew was like, you know, boasting about his big yacht in like Marina Cove and stuff like that, talking about how easy it is to get grants, then yeah, I might get, I might start to get a little suspicious, you know, like, hey, wait a minute. I might start to make a few calls to the government agency. Did he apply for that <laughs> and stuff, you know? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I might start to think about that. But then again, um, there's, there's different contexts. There's right. different, different things that go into this sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, to talk a little bit about, you know, being accepted here. Mm. Um, you know, as long as you're not being a dick, mm. as long as you're not rubbing your wealth in people's faces or in social media, uh, you can be kind of, you know, I mean, like you, you're essentially invisible to the the, the local discourse. Yeah, I would say, I would say, pretty much, if you are not rubbing people the wrong way here, um, people. I guess most of the general population generally don't mind don't mind you uh living here, yeah, and then if you take the extra effort to sort of like take in the local culture, they might actually endear themselves to you because okay. they're like, "Hey, look at this cute foreigner doing this doing our local okay. Okay. <laughs> Singapore stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know there's um a bit of like a <laughs> weird thing going on there, but I, I that's I think the sentiment that I sort of get now, okay yeah. 
So on that topic, I really want to get into this since you mentioned this, right? So yeah. if you are a naturalized Singaporean um, and if you are, you know, seen to be celebrating uh, local culture or if you're contributing, you mm, know, in mm. whatever way you can, you will be accepted. Now, I want to bring up a very specific example. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is with regards to the recent conversations about, you know, free trade agreements in Singapore mm. and, you know, whether they are beneficial to the country and very specifically this free trade agreement between India and Singapore. So the nominated member of parliament, Leong Min Wai, consistently brings this up and he consistently brings up, you know, the failures of, of the CECA um, and he constantly cites the example of, you know, the local bank DBS having a CEO, Piyush Gupta, um, who is a naturalized citizen. Yeah. But Leong Man Wai's arguments are always around the, the he's, I think he's always asking why is it that true blue Singaporeans are not getting these high-level jobs? Now, to go back to what you said about as long as a citizen is you know, contributing and somehow, you know, being a beneficial force to the the community that should be okay. Mm. But we should also accept that these voices exist Mm. and these are loud ones. Mm. So what are your thoughts on very specifically Leong Man Wai's sentiments about True Blue versus New Singaporeans and, you know, people of his uh, disposition? Okay, so... Two things, and again, this is just my opinion here. I think where Leong Moon Wai is coming from is a political, is from a sort of like almost purely political basis. He's saying these things, he's making these uh, points so as to appeal to his base or to his voters or to his, you know, council or whatever, right? Because I think in, in his view, like his followers or his constituency, they're made up of people who have issue with like foreigners taking up executive positions in Singapore. So that's why he's making those comments. That's at least to me, that's why he's making those comments. But then from the DBS perspective, you have to understand that I highly doubt that the reason why they have um they 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 sort of like filled the role the way they did is like at at least from DBS perspective, I think it is purely a a business decision. Mm-hmm. It is not political at all. They don't have like a CEO position, and then they they don't they don't look at it and say like, you know, how can we piss off the local Singaporeans the most here, <laughs> right? Right? What 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 foreign what country other than Singapore can we pick from today? I'm pretty sure, like I'm almost ninety nine percent sure that their HR de- department doesn't include this in like their in when they're evaluating. Uh, who their next CEO, who their next executive will be, right? I'm pretty sure from their standpoint, it's purely business perspective. They're looking at the qualifications, the, I don't know, what projects they've done, you know, how much value they can bring to the to the company. And, and like, um, and, and I'm pretty sure they also will consider or have evaluated, like, uh, local uh, candidates as well. It's just that maybe in their, their marketing or whatever, not all of them are, you know, <laughs> mentioned by name. La, and, and so, uh, you know, all the spotlight only goes on the, the, the what was it, Gupta? Yeah, Piyush Gupta. Piyush Gupta, yeah. All the spotlight goes on just on Piyush Gupta, who was eventually selected. Yeah. So I think it's, it's those, that, at least that to me is uh, the two issues going on here. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
Um, I follow this with great interest uh, because, as you know, I'm an mm-hmm. Indian national and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, currently public enemy number one. <laughs> um, and I'm really curious about this conversation around true blue Singaporeans uh, because I feel, and this is my personal opinion, that um, I, th- I think, uh, you know, Mr. Leong Min Wai's sentiments, and which is reflective of his, you know, base, um, is about the anger that um, Singaporeans who've gone through the Singaporean way of life, mm. who've kind of gone through the trenches, so to speak, are now not seeing the benefits at the end of the line. And it's like having to go through all of this only to see, you know, the finish line being taken over by someone who took a shortcut. Yeah. Um, this this has most of the time no basis in truth, but that that is the optics of it. Yeah. So does true blue Singaporean actually mean that you must go through the trenches and have some sort of shared misery, if you will? I think it is easier to endear yourself to a true blue Singaporean if you have done those things, yeah. Right. Yeah. So for example, if you have a colleague who's like, say, white, right? But then you learn that, oh, actually he's been through army. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can relate to you better. Right. If you if you just came, you know, to work or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so if I may ask, is one of the cornerstones of uh being a true Singaporean is to suffer the common suffering? <laughs> like <laughs> maybe that's not the right word, but you know I mean in a sense <laughs> okay. because like what we're essentially talking about is like tribalism here, right? And it's easier to relate to someone who is like on the level with you. Than someone who's like, you know, I'm pretty sure like most Singaporeans will find it difficult to relate to Lee Sen Long, just because right. his world is so much more different than like the average Singaporean, right? Right. Yeah. So it's not just about like nationality or whatever. It's about like your common experience and and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so um, at the same time, I think there's also a lot of um, you know pride when it comes to uh, you know Singaporeans who are over who are overachievers or who are like um, rich and famous, uh, you know. So I, I wonder if there are concessions given to uh, new citizens, but who are, um, you know, celebrities or or just like famous people that you can take pride in. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if there are, maybe. Um, but I think on that point, um, I... I think, I believe that in my, at least in my opinion, Singapore, the government is placed in a very tricky position when it comes to trying to balance like the demographics uh, and with like immigration. How many people do they take in? How many people do they, do they naturalize? Do they give citizenship to? Because like, it's not, uh, because how to say, it's been out in the open for a number of years now that our birth rate is declining. Mm-hmm. So, and it is not like the replacement rate of two, in fact, is far below two. So at the current rate that we are going, the population, if we just if we don't accept any foreigners at all, we'll be like dying out. You know, our mm-hmm. population will be declining. So yeah, although Singaporean might seem very very op- overpopulated, there is a reason for that, and that is to keep the the sort of like the population going. Like, otherwise, we'll get into the situation whereby uh, Japan is now facing, whereby the 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 mean or the 
so like the bell curve of the age is slowly shifting to the to the right side and like your average age is like 30 40 50 plus which is very very scary because then you know your economy suffers and it's made up of mostly older people <laughs> yeah yeah so so it is reasonable from the at least a political standpoint or from an economical standpoint why they want to like constantly bring in um foreigners especially professionals or those that can you know, really add value or maybe create jobs or what have, what have you or innovate or whatever in Singapore, right? Because uh, this not only uh, means that there is a greater pool to sort of like sustain the oil reproduction rate, but also means that future Singaporeans might have better prospects, uh, you know, in the future, right? So if, if Singapore, for example, weren't so accepting of like MNCs or foreigners, we might not have tech companies, we might not have, uh, you know, your big MNC banks or whatever, we might have, might not have big companies in Singapore, then the many career prospects of the younger population might be looking a lot bleaker. La. So it is a very, it is a very trade-off kind of thing. And then for the government as well, they have to maintain this phase <laughs> of like, you know, on the one hand, on the one hand, they have to take the concern of like the average Singaporean very seriously, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, uh, although we want to like bring in, you know, foreign talent and like innovation from outside and stuff like that. So as to boost our economy, keep it strong and going for many, many years, we have to take the their concern seriously that we might be shown to be showing favor to the outsiders rather to our own locals, which of course looks very bad for like a government, yeah. But on the other hand, you know, they have to balance like the health of the, the country and, and its uh, longevity going forward. So it's a very, very tricky position yeah yeah i don't i don't envy the government at all i mean on top of having to deal with you know the medical crisis that we're going through right now there's also <laughs> all of these medical crisis yeah, yeah <laughs> you know um and I, I think there's all of these other associated you know societal issues that also need to be addressed and also quickly yeah so it's it's like um if and you know if they're not putting out statements quick enough you know, people just tend to fill in the blanks with, you know, whatever they feel like. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think the government has also consistently pushed the idea that this is for the economic well-being of the country. There is an economic angle to it. And this, of course, gets a lot of resistance from a significant chunk of folks, right? Mm. Um, in that, like, the the influx of new citizens are kind of a political strategy to hold on to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so there's there's enough articles out there kind of matching up the number of birth rates to when they become voter age. And, you know, there's a perception that <laughs> new citizens are brought in because they are more likely to vote for uh, the establishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So is there any credence to that, in your opinion? Oh... Uh... I don't know. I can't say. I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I this to me seems like, you know, there's conspiracy theory and then there's tinfoil hat. This seems to me like tinfoil hat because it seems very, um, like almost 5D chess kind of thing to do. <laughs> it's like yeah. a very out there thing to plan for, you know, because it's not like a very immediate thing that you think about, right? For example, yeah. like the... Um, the the official who's like who's in charge of like the immigration numbers and stuff he doesn't 
you know, put the numbers in a spreadsheet and go, okay, we need this so that in like the next election we have enough to maintain this this seat, right? Because right? that would be crazy if he actually <laughs> does that. Yeah. And that's what I mean by it's like a far out conspiracy theory. But yeah. I don't know, who knows? It might be. Yeah, but but the thing with um I guess the 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 why Singapore is in this position, why the government is in this position, because it's because like the way it's the way they decide to run, right? They are very sort of like I call it like a very patriarchal way of of running the country in the sense that everything they do and like the policies they set, it's very much like a dad telling the kid like, this is good for you, this is bad for you. You know, I remember, for example, <laughs> with regard to like smoking and like tobacco tax, right? So um, I remember one year in one of the budgets, right? So, you know, every year we have like, Singapore has like the budgets and then for each new thing on each each whatever, they'll, they'll, they'll make like, they'll give like rationalization to sort of like explain, right? So that, you know, the the wider population can understand why they made these sort of changes. But then remember this one year, they increased the tobacco tax, right? By like 2% or something. And then they didn't give any rationalization for it. They just said, okay, this is going to go up. This is it. And then move on to the next item. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I mean by like, it's a very sort of like, um, but not say patriarchal, paternal way of like governing. Yeah, right. it's like you know we know best. We therefore. know we know best, and and so on right. But at the same time, um, there I think I think what Singapore is coming, or at least the the Singapore government is coming to terms with, is that the citizens are starting to grow up. Yeah, you know, we are not like kids who will just listen and do whatever is told anymore. We we have our own opinions as well on how this country and how the future should be best run especially when it comes to things like global warming, environment. I'm pretty sure the government has uh, listened to, to those as well and made efforts towards that. And so now they're in this sort of like, I guess, a bit of a pickle, a tricky situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, apologies for taking like a very, having a very long political discussion, which was... Oh, no uh, worries. <laughs> um, I'm less quali- I'm less than qualified <laughs> to be talking about this, but sure, if you want to discuss yeah. this, sure. Um, me, me even less. Um, but uh, no, it is an interesting uh, understanding of the situation regardless. Um, I do want to like go back to, you know, the topic of Singaporean identity and what it means to be Singaporean. Yeah. Um, now, this may be a bit of a controversial ask, but if if you were to give a cheat sheet to a foreigner, <laughs> you know, to to essentially not be highlighted as a new Singaporean. What? Not be highlighted as a new Singaporean. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so I would say it's, um. this is almost impossible to do for certain people because I would say that there are certain immutable factors that at least on surface uh, deem you to be a new Singaporean or an outsider almost immediately. So these are things like um, skin color, name, um, appearance or whatnot, right? There is, you know, um, there's a certain image in mind or a certain uh, view that uh, Singaporeans have towards what a Singaporean should look like or at least what they think a Singaporean looks like. So you have your Chinese, Indian, Malay, and so on, right? So, you know, if you have a white friend who says that he's Singaporean, it's a little bit hard to believe at first, or at least it comes at a surprise, right? And I would say it's, 
impossible to eliminate this barrier mm-hmm. or at least this like on surface surprise factor because you can't change those factors about yourself. I mean, you can change your name, sure, but you can't change, you know, your skin tone or, or the way you look or whatnot, right? Yeah, so, but then, um, if you want to endear yourself to locals or if you want to <laughs> label yourself as a true blue Singaporean, make the extra effort to, you know, do all the things that I mentioned earlier on in this episode about what a, a Singaporean, you know, what are the, the cultural markers of a true blue Singaporean. So, you eat, I guess, uh, local hawker food, you speak Singlish, you watch local sitcoms, or at least you are familiar with local sitcoms and our famous cultural characters like Mr. Kiasu or whatnot. And and yeah, I would say that pretty much makes you uh, Singaporean. And if you have a son, you send the son to NS. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, when you when you think when you when you mention this, right, um there are I, I, I can actually think of like a few foreigners who endear themselves to the local culture through actions which might not immediately seem Singaporean at first. So the first example I'm thinking of is Botat Jones, right? Very famous um, restaurant, uh, hawker store operator, been yeah. around for many, many years. Uh, pretty much treated as a local already because he's, you know, been around for so long, right? Everyone, locals love him, right? The other person that I'm thinking of is this, I believe it was a few years back, there was this uh, person, um, I can't remember if he was like Slovakian or Slovenian, but basically, maybe it was like Eastern European or something, but basically what he did was that he started to organize, I think it was like like roadside cleanups or like beach cleanups or something, something to do with cleaning up Singapore. Mm-hmm. And he was very like vocal about it on Facebook and and he gathered like volunteer numbers in like the hundreds or thousands, you know. And it's like and, and it's like I'm pretty sure no one had an issue with him being like Singaporean or not. They just loved the fact that he was doing something good for the country, lah. Yeah. So so maybe, I don't know, there might be other ways to for like a uh, foreigner to endure yourself to the wider public. I don't know. Yeah. Providing value. Always a always a good way to yeah. You know, show that you care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I do have maybe a counterpoint. Yeah. And uh, this is probably hypothetical here, but um, if I were to, you know, eat local food, if I were to, I do all these things, just yeah. <laughs> to yeah. put it out there. Um, if I were to, you know, uh, do all of these things, you know, with respect to identifying with and, you know, appreciating local culture, but at the same time, if I were living a privileged and affluent life, mm. um, would all of these things that I'm doing matter? Well, it depends you on how you live that life, right? If you're like driving around in like a Rolls Royce, <laughs> parking in like a HDB, <laughs> HDB car park, you're giving. I guess people ammunition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're giving yeah. people a reason to hate you or something. Yeah, and I guess if like you treat you know people uh, wrongly or whatever. I mean, recently there was like um, these two Singaporean ladies. They were like rude to like a security yeah. guard, right? Yeah. They were like like bashing her for saying how poor she was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they were Singaporean, right? But people people hated them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's. Uh, if you rub your class in other people's faces, 
Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It never goes down. Right? Yeah, it, I mean, at that point, it's not a, it's not a uh, local versus foreigner issue anymore. Mm-hmm. It becomes like mm-hmm. an elitism issue, which is like a separate thing already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, th- thanks for that. I mean, uh, I think I've always struggled with trying to separate, uh, you know, class issues from more, uh, you know, cultural and societal, uh, you know, boundaries. So, mm. um, don't be a dick. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, try not to be one of those, you know, uh, rich hype beasts on Instagram. <laughs> you know, like, um, and I, th- I think you should be good. Okay, no, no, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> um, I think uh, we have covered a fair bit of ground yeah. around uh, Singaporean identity and what it means to be Singaporean. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, um, I think in the questions that you sent over, right, mm-hmm. you raised one of the questions you asked was about like. I think the the foreign athletes and how and their treatment by the locals. Yeah. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time s- speaking about that. Yeah. Because I think in your question it was like, you know, um, you're talking about the difference that, uh, say, a local born athlete, the treatment that they get versus like how a foreign born athlete, the treatment that they get, right? Yeah. And how it's viewed differently. One is viewed as like, oh, this is our true blue Singaporean boy. The other is like, oh, they're just a, you know. They're mercenaries, basically. I actually think the opposite is true. Oh, not not saying the opposite, but I don't think the foreigners have it as bad as you think in terms of like the way they're being perceived by the wider public. So, for example, and, and the funny thing, right, <laughs> is that Joseph Schooling, although he was born and raised in Singapore, the reason why he's so good is because he was trained in America. <laughs> right? <laughs> so so the irony is the irony is there. But so okay, so so in terms of like, for example, um the foreigner who's competing, representing Singapore, competing for like Olympics and stuff like that. The specific example I'm thinking of is uh Li Jiawei and Feng Tian Yu mm-hmm. in I believe it was 2008 or 2012 Olympics, right? So they were, of course, uh, born in China. They were trained in China, but they became Singaporean to, to represent Singapore in table tennis. And back in 2008, I was still in school. I remember very clearly that the fever and the hype around, like, you know, Singapore competing and them competing for us in, like, the medal positions was, like, insane. So I was in school, right, and we have these TVs all over, like literally when those matches were going on, everyone was like, this, the, the classes stopped, you know, everyone went outside to go and watch, to go and cheer like Li Jiawei and, and, and Feng Tianyi as they, as they competed for medals and stuff, you know. So it's like, I'm pretty sure at that point, no one thought of them as like, oh yeah, yeah they're foreigner. I mean, maybe one or two naysayers out there, but, but everyone was like, yeah, they're proud to have them represent Singapore because yeah. Singapore is on the main stage. La. Yeah, but then, you know, if you want to talk about like true blue Singaporean, like like really really all of the way one, I think the best example, although I may not be I'm not be hundred percent sure on this, is uh Ip Pin Chu, the yeah. Paralympian. Yeah. yeah, she's been killing it, winning gold and stuff like that, and she's like as Singaporean as you can get. Yep. Yeah, so I think if you want to make like a model example of like a a, a you know a true blue Singaporean who gets like the the attention and love that she deserves, she would definitely be it. And she's actually an NMP as well, former NMP as well. Oh, so, is she? Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. Which okay, is this one insane. I didn't know. So it's so it's like she is like Singaporean in like so many levels, you know. Oh, yeah. Man. 
yeah. That's like double whammies there. <laughs> yeah. Like cr- crushing it in, in parliament just as she does in the Olympics. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. God damn. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. well done. No, thanks for bringing up that. I completely forgot about that issue. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I could like expand on that a little. Um, so about Li Jiawei, right? Mm. She, uh, and she's talked about this, like even though she's, you know, born in China and stuff, you know, she's been extremely proud of, you know, representing Singapore and like she considers that home. And I think that goes a long way in endearing herself to the local population, right? At the same time, there have been cases of um, other athletes from China who since moved back to, to um, you know, China and say, I, I forget whose name it is, but... Um, it's like, oh, you know, I've never considered Singapore home. And that really riles up a lot of people, right? Mm. So, and the specific criticism about the whole foreign sports talent scheme, essentially, which is that the government is trying not to um, cultivate local talent, but is would rather just take the shortcut and buy them outright. Yeah. Um, do you think that the, the sports program is the reason why this whole true blue versus new <laughs> Singaporean thing came to be? No, no. I, don't, I mean, maybe it plays a, a bit of a factor, but I don't think that's the only reason. Like, for example, you look at fin- Singapore football, right? <laughs> it's quite hilarious how, like, almost half the team are, like, <laughs> not, <laughs> not local born. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. One of, I believe, like, the striker is, like, Eastern European or something by, by birth or something like that. I see. Yeah, yeah. So, and then one of our fullbacks is, like, English or something or, or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't been following local football for, like, the longest time. Okay. But, but yeah, I'm pretty, I think it plays a part, but I don't think that's the only reason. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, you know, going back, there are many other factors as well. And I guess media also plays a part when they, you know, highlight how <laughs> the Dyson CEO bought like a, a $200 million yeah. man- penthouse or something. And, <laughs> you know, all these kind of things. It just triggers Singaporeans, local Singaporeans in a way. La. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is where the resentment and these things come from. Yeah. I think there's the other thing also where, um, so the recent example that I was looking at was the case of Eduardo Saverin. Oh. So the, the, the Facebook co-founder. And uh, so he moved to Singapore in 2009. Yeah. And of course, there was a lot of criticism, that a lot of flack that he got in the US too, saying that, oh, he you know was renouncing his US citizenship because um, of tax reasons, you know, evading all, all that stuff. Um, and then his, his wife is local Singaporean. And, uh, you know, at least... Uh, if I were to quote the South China Morning Post um, last month, uh, they did say that Sovereign is now a Singaporean citizen. So um, does he get flack, um, you know, for being a Singaporean, even though we can safely assume that he hasn't probably been overt about appreciating culture and stuff? I mean, I don't know, because... I don't follow him that much. Okay. I don't think he's very public as well. Is yeah, he? he's not. He's not. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, you know, if we were to guess, it's like he's mainly involved with his own um, entrepreneurial ventures yeah. in tech and whatnot. So I'm guessing he is to some extent contributing to the local economy. Um, but as I said before, he's not pissing anyone off. I don't see a reason why anyone should have an issue with him. Or, okay. Yeah, I think it should be fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
And until he starts buying the next GCB and then afterwards. <laughs> maybe. <Fuck>. Maybe. <laughs> or, may- or maybe some guys will complain because they stole one of our girls or something like that. You know? <laughs> right? Okay, this, this we have to talk about. <laughs> this we have to talk about. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, I'd like to. Okay, before I wrap this, I need to talk about. Wait, I'm I'm kidding, by the way. I wasn't I wasn't serious about this. But this is just a sentiment that I've seen before. Yeah, you know, as as a foreigner with a local partner, I hear this so much. It's not even funny. Oh wait, do you get a lot of flack on this? Well, so it's kind of like. <laughs> it's it's not in a malicious way. Once again, this is not like based on the sentiments that I see online. Right, right, but right. But there right. is a general, you know, sentiment that I see, especially my friends who or people who you know find out that my, uh, you know, wife is Singaporean, and you know the the, the reactions range anything from <laughs> like, oh, your wife is Singaporean, and then they would just do an exaggerated thumbs up. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> you have moved up in life. <laughs> You know, Whoa. yeah, and uh, and then like on the on the other end where people would go like, um, oh, of course, Singaporean girls prefer foreigners over local men. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that kind of leans into the whole victimhood narrative. And um, let's let's talk about this now. This notion is very commonly held, and you know, I think there is a pattern here somewhere, and you know, is. Is there a lot of anger <laughs> towards, you know, foreigners, new citizens, what have you, um, because of this? Because of this, they're stealing our jobs, they're stealing <laughs> our women. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> no, I find it, I find it quite uh, a bit hilarious actually, because it's like, <laughs> I, I think the root of it is um, very incel-driven in a way, whereby they are frustrated that they are not able to you know, find success in a dating pool or whatnot. And so when they see foreigners able to have more success in them, then they get angry. Yeah. yeah. And then they don't they do not just they don't just get angry at the foreigners by the way. They get angry at uh the women as well. Yeah. Almost or or like the the person who decides to date a foreigner. Almost there's almost like a stereotype whereby Man, in these like in these like obscure forums, <laughs> the EDM EDMW or whatever, they have a term. They, 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 what, they call it like what the the sinky girls or whatever. They only go for like the the foreigners or, or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they 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 speak about it very derisively over there. But then again, this is a very sub population subculture of Singapore. I don't think it's representative of like. Singaporean men as a whole it's a very small subset of them but yeah yeah it's uh yeah so there's the whole you know SPG thing there's the yeah, whole yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Sound exactly thing. exactly yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um you know and this is just constantly would you care of... to explain these abbreviations <laughs> <Right>. so <laughs> SPG <laughs> so this is based on my understanding after years of lurking on EDMW based on Rindo's <laughs> research <laughs> <laughs> so SPG is uh short for um Sarong party girl. It's essentially applied to women who tend to have a preference for uh, white men. Um, there's a very commonly held belief among a fair number of Singaporean men who feel like uh, women prefer white men over themselves, over local men. Um, and then you have AMDK, which is Angmo <laughs> uh which is uh, Hokkien for uh, white man, big stick. <laughs> you know, and with all the sexual innu- innuendo that comes up with. And so the idea is that 
uh, yeah, you know, essentially the white man has the bigger dick and therefore the better job, you know, the uh, gets all the women, yada, yada, yada. So, and these are just constantly talked about in these forums. And um, while these are, you know, fringe communities and these are like held by a small subset of people, I think it is affecting, uh, you know, folks in regular life. Uh, there's a friend of mine, she's Singaporean. Her partner is white. Um, but because I know her, I know that it's not, you know, a fetish or anything, you know, which is what everybody tends to assume. Um, you know, I've known her for a while. I know that, you know, she also had to do a lot of, you know, she, she once confided that she would constantly second guess herself and question herself as to whether her choice in partner was influenced by, you know, these things. Is it a racial fetish? Is it some sort of, you know, preference? And then over time, she's come to terms with the fact that I'm with this guy because I like him. And, uh, you know, the, the incels on these forums can say whatever the f*** they want. Um, but, you know, I think enough people are talking about it, enough people feel this, and I think enough women are trying to defend their, you know, dating preferences. And um, I'd hate it if my wife were to have to do that among her friends. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it's almost uh, demeaning. Um, and I think this is more of an interracial, interracial uh, relationship conversation, but... You know, that there is a sense that anytime people learn about our interracial relationship, it's often looked at through the lens of, um, you know, a fetish. Mm. It's like, oh, it must be because he likes Chinese girls. Mm. Or in her case, oh, it must be because, you know, she has a fetish for Indian men. Um, and it's never, they never look at the simplest reason, which is because we liked each other. <laughs> we decided to see how things went and, you know, ended up being together. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, this is probably like, I think, a, a topic for another time. There's like a <laughs> whole lot to unpack. But uh, no, I, I'm glad that we brought this up. I'm glad that you brought this up, uh, Danny. Uh, and I think it's a very important aspect of like Singaporean identity because at the end of the day, um, and as long as you find the one who's right for you, that's all that matters, right? Um, and especially living in a multicultural, multiracial society, um, these things are going to happen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny, so do you have any uh, any last words on on the topic of Singaporean identity? Uh, I guess to uh, foreigners or to PR or to people who feel like they get a lot of mistreatment or something, uh, or they feel they don't feel like they belong, even though they've been living here for a number of years. Um, I I don't know. Just um, try to take. I mean, I I want to say like don't think about it, don't stress too much about it. Uh, but then it seems a little bit, you know, because other people might have have it a lot more difficult than I do, so it might be a little bit insensitive to say. But at the same time, I think you know there's some general things like don't shit the bed, um, you know, don't piss people off. I think those are really good, um, general <laughs> rules to apply anywhere you live. Uh, in terms of not pissing off the local population, not triggering the the tribalism and whatnot, um, and yeah, I think if you are nice to locals, they will be nice to you. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> thanks for that, Danny. And once again, thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Sure. All right, folks, that was uh, Danny Kurdi. Um, thanks so much, man, for being here. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh, about Singaporean identity and the 
various complexities that come with trying to define what it is. Um, this is, of course, the second episode of the series coming together in collaboration with whitehatters.sg. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and any other po- podcast platform of your choice. And uh, we'll also be on YouTube, so um, you know, check it out. Um, so yeah, this is uh, we will be doing a couple more episodes over the course of the next couple of weeks. So do look forward to a new episode dropping every week. Uh, where we'll talk about various facets around Singapore, society, cultural norms, and of course, some very controversial topics. So I hope you guys stick around um, for more. Uh, My name is Rindo, and you are listening to Coming Together. Bye-bye.